0: The one big question I started asking myself, uh, really some months ago, is what would we look like after COVID has run through? In other words, how do we regain our, our footing, and how does the medical community rebound, regain trust? Patients first. All of that uh, comes to my mind, and then I, I, you know, I'm starting to see stories about that uh, as well, and then I'm really interesting. Uh, a dilemma I think the healthcare community has, and I think we'll start right there, my fellow Americans here. It's, uh, welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. It is Malcolm Out Loud here along with-
1: Dr. Peter McCullough.
0: So I get this very interesting question, and I wanna, let's bounce this right up front here. From Tracy says, my son just finished his second year of medical school and wants to be a surgeon. My daughter just finished her sophomore undergrad, majoring in health science, and right now is undecided to medical school and PA school. With the way the medical doctors have been captured and the physicians have become employees by our government, wow, I am extremely concerned these may be awful career choices, not to mention the way I see young doctors' hands being tied to do what the government says all because of of debt, student debt. What advice can I give each of them? Interesting way to start this program.
1: Well, you know, my son's a medical student right now, and I think what's really going to come out is the flow of money. We have to see it. How much money is flowing from the federal government or the biopharmaceutical complex to medical schools, to hospital systems, to residency programs, and to large employers? Uh, You know, no one is talking. No one can explain why a large employer would have a vaccine mandate. Nobody's stepping up and supporting it. The CEOs, the board of directors, everything is quiet. I think people ought to demand through freedom of information to find out the flow of money. I think like so many things, follow the money.
0: Uh, And, you know, and then I see uh, an interesting report. You might have seen this as well in the uh, Epoch Times here, how the CDC uses fear to increase demand for flu vaccines. Very fascinating and it, it kind of plays to this narrative here because it says the CDC claims that its recommendations that everyone aged six months and up should get an annual flu shot is firmly grounded in science. Now, now listen to this. This is interesting. It says the mainstream media reinforce this characterization by misinforming the public about what the science says. So the word science has been butchered in all of this. Nobody believes what 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 even what is science. Nobody really understands. Because of all the bad information. And what's really even worse is people, and I see it because people respond all the time and they send messages in here to the network and they're very perplexed and they don't trust anybody anymore. I mean, nobody has trust left in this in this scenario because of what you just say, the mandates forcing this onto the public. And people have made so, you know, they've had to make some very difficult life choices. That, you know, I mean, sometimes people think we get on here and we sound like we make it easy. Yeah, just do the right thing for you. Don't worry about the job and the career and the, you know, whatever, the college and the, the, the family member. But these are, these are massive things that have hit this industry. I'm wondering, I don't know how it ever recovers, quite frankly. And then this whole idea of vaccines, Dr. McCullough, which you and I have talked, we've seen questions about that early on where people are saying, well, I don't even know if I should get this is what this is addressing. What about just typical vaccines? That trust has been lost. I think people are going to be very skittish to get anything when it comes to a needle uh, in the body. A a, a certain part of the percentage of the population will be, of course, a lot of other people fall in line, which is part of the problem as well. Uh, this is quite fear. This, uh, people call it fear porn or whatever. And you, uh, of course, you call it mass psychosis as well or all of this. But really, I think uh, getting its foot in again and getting over this thing, I'm not sure how it happens, especially since they're still pushing a lot of, a lot of communities, a lot of people and organizations are still pushing these vaccines and mandates. And some of them even are demanding you wear a mask, believe it or
1: not, at this point. It's remarkable. You know, the vaccines have become the menace. They really are. I think if the vaccines tomorrow went away, the COVID-19 vaccines, there would be a massive celebration. We'd all take a week off and just celebrate the (laughs) war is over. The vaccines, in a sense, have become a war on America. People dread these vaccines. Everyone knows somebody now who's had a blood clot, heart damage, been hospitalized, severe allergic reaction. Sadly, so many people know those in their circle that have died with the vaccines. You know, we have a labor shortage crunch you know, right now, the labor market is so tight. I think people need to understand that not, you know, you don't have to work for a large employer anymore. Uh, the labor market is tight. There are jobs wide open everywhere.
0: You know, I sort of relate this problem we're talking about here up front. Uh, you know, i, I I'll give you an example here, and it's an interesting example, and then we'll move on here. But, uh, you know... <sighs> My son, for a lot of years, was talking about. For many years, he wanted to. He loved. He loves people. Wants to help people. And he was talking about getting into law enforcement. This was a, for many, many years, actually, in a, in a young age. As a lot of young boys were fascinated with that field and wanted to become and help people. You got to have service in your heart. Well, it's just like healthcare, it's the same thing, uh, Peter. It's the same thing. You you have uh, you know that sort of love for f- my fellow human being in your heart. You want to help people, and you want to do that for years. And then when that industry became on fire and it no longer became, you know, uh, the right uh, career choice, as this first question from Tracy says, and now he's pulled right off of that. And I'm thinking about, in other words, little people, little boys, so children, little boys that want to grow up to be, you know, first responders. Here's an example, Peter, first responders or be a, a policeman or be someone in that in that field. That, that's another industry that has been hit really, really hard for trust. And a lot of people are just not engaged anymore. It's the same thing in the healthcare. I wonder how many little boys now will want to grow up uh, to, and I wonder how, what kind of a shortage this will create if they don't get into healthcare. I don't know. Clearly there are opportunities here, but back to like what Tracy says, if everything is being ruined, uh, ruled and well, you could say ruined as well by the government and they're, uh, uh, you know, obliterating our healthcare uh you know, uh, trust in our reputation that we have. It's anybody's guess. So I, I'm just, I, th- I think that that whole feeling, you know, when you're a little child and you're going to grow up to be a, a great doctor or a, a great policeman or a first responder of some sort, that's a, it's, it's a, it's a tough place to be. I can appreciate Tracy as a mom thinking about her kids and thinking, you know, what do I do? Uh, do I encourage them there? Do I go another way? Would you still encourage somebody today to get into healthcare with all things being equal, what they are?
1: It's always been said that if you find something you love, you'll never work another day in your life. And I think there are and always will be pathways where people can achieve their goals. I, I think right now we can't look at things as an impenetrable system. We still are individual human beings. We all make a difference. Uh, you know, To be a doctor, to be a medical doctor is the highest level of education and training and retraining and certification than any profession in America, in the world, by a mile. There's nothing close, Malcolm. There's nothing close. So I can tell you, people who want to climb that ladder and the talent pool is ubiquitous. You know, a a tiny fraction of people who apply to medical school get in. And it is the most arduous and most expensive pathway that anybody could take to be a professional. And I can tell you, on the back end, the financial uh, rewards are not uh, anywhere near uh, worth the investment going all the way, people who do this do it out of a, a passion and a commitment, yeah, and a sense of beneficence to society. And I have to believe that where there's a will, there's a way,
0: yeah. I, I love what you say there, all of it, all of it, including and and back to the best advice actually. We just gave this mom here, Tracy, is that. It is so important in life. And I learned this as a young lad myself. Uh, of course, wasn't quite yesterday, but I did learn this lesson that if you really do what you love and you do what's in your heart, You'll never have to work a job in your life. So, for me, for instance, in my as an example, I have never really worked a job because I've done what I've loved all my life. Even when it, when I was running advertising and marketing before I direct and produced radio and got into all of that on the network here as a host and you know having my voice make a difference. Uh, I guess in some ways I would be like a first responder almost as well, depending on what we're talking about. <laughs> but uh, I, I do think that's an interesting way to look at it, but everybody, so Tracy, the best advice to your children is they should follow their heart. They should follow their heart their soul. What, what is, what do they really want to do in this lifetime? And that, and that kind of plays against two parents who sometimes push a particular field onto their kids uh, because they think they have to be this or that. That's a great lesson here in all of this to remember moving forward. So it is a good lesson for all of our kids. Uh, and I, I do... And- The other thing about the healthcare that Dr. McCullough is talking about there is so fascinating because uh, the commitment, you know, and, and, you know, it's it's important to say this. I remember growing up again where people would say, uh, like, well, you know, look at the cost of that doctor's appointment or, you know, they're so expensive. Why do they make so much money? Look at the house they live in or this or that, you know, and I would always say, even as a young lad, I would always say. Uh, you know, well, if you want to make that commitment in your life, if you want to go ahead and make that commitment to your, to your education and all that you have to do to become a medical doctor and commit your, your, your lifestyle and soul to it, then you are entitled to whatever benefits you you may, you may, uh, uh, retrieve from that. I mean, that's the way it is. So, I, I, and I've always said that, you know, always, always said that. So it's in, important to say here as well, uh, I think. Well, welcome again here to Micro Law Pauls. here. Uh, this is our, uh, well, famous Q&A now, I think, that Dr. McCullough and, and I do here. So one here today, still counting, by the way, here. Uh, this one coming up here is from Dan. He says, uh, uh, I offer one educational suggestion to consider for audience and ask one question about my approach in a particular COVID discussion. First, I fear that most people don't understand the meaning of either the phrase, follow the science, or simply the word science. Quite a good segue, you might say, friends, huh? So please consider using the phrase scientific method. Now, listen to this: Scientific, so this is a listener that understands the word science and wh- what's happened to it. So you're saying, please consider using the phrase scientific method. Please consider explaining to your audience that an opinion or hypothesis is only the start of the scientific method and is not useful until it is validated by the scientific method. Interesting way to differentiate the early science from a scientific method. Secondly, our retired luncheon recently reconvened, but one of our members is adamant that asymptomatic transmission of the current SARS-CoV-2 variant is real and the vaccines are safe and effective based on science. Again, he cited expert opinions as evidence but could not point to conclusions from a study, the applied scientific method. So as a frontline protest, I have decided to announce my suspension of attending this gathering until this particular retiree can validate his opinion uh, with conclusions from studies that followed the scientific method. Do you think my approach is an appropriate and bold enough way to say stand up for the truth? What do you think?
1: I can tell that that listener is a scientific doctor of some type, whether medical doctor, a PhD in physics or chemistry or biochemistry, engineering. So science is the field of inquiry. The the tools used in science is the collectively considered the scientific method. What uh, I agree with him, the the term has been just kind of tossed around. I like the idea of medical literature or clinical science, uh, that we, we really are talking about medicine, which is way different than physics. The two major divisions in, um, in scientific inquiry in the way of thinking is called deduction and induction. This is very important. Deduction means that we start out with a law or a, an equation and then we reduce it to practice. So for instance, the law of gravity, and then we you know reduce it to practice and get a, a plane to fly. That's actually using deduction. In medicine, we actually never know the truth. And so we use induction, we use inferential thinking, meaning that we we make a, a whole series of observations and we try to put it together in terms of truth. And because we use inferential thinking, we rely on statistics, which other fields don't. And our reliance on statistics always has in it what's called alpha error. Alpha error is the chance of arriving at a conclusion uh, by, uh, by random chance and not having to be truth. And then beta error, which is uh, the error that you know, fail, failing to find an effect if indeed it's there. And so the, the idea here in medicine, the thing that makes people so frustrated is the fact that we use inferential thinking. So when people say, aha, you, you said it can't go by this. There are no laws in medicine. Mm. There are no laws. It's a constantly changing field as we gradually grind our way to truth.
0: Yeah, and many times in many cases and places, some doctors are making educated guesses based on it, but that's not always a science, is it,
1: right? It isn't. Let me give you an example. In the course of my lifetime, do you know when I was a medical student, the most common surgery we did in general surgery... Was called the vagotomy and pyloroplasty two. We literally cut out a segment of the stomach and the proximal small intestine to treat stomach ulcers. We used to cut the stomach and take, cut out the ulcer. Now we've realized that ulcers are largely caused by a bug called helicobacter pylori. So we treat the helicobacter, we use endoscopic techniques and we virtually never do stomach surgery. What mm. a radical change. What an absolute radical change. So this happens all the time. People say, well, is it for sure you're going to do stomach ulcer surgery forever? No. People say, is this medicine I'm taking? Is it forever? I said, no, it's until we learn more and we find better ways of managing.
0: That is great. That is a great example. And you know, I don't think I've ever told you this, Peter. When I, um, I, well, in my career of directing and producing radio television, I was um, in a situation where we had to do a photo shoot for uh, with a uh, cardiology, uh, cardiac surgeons actually, and uh, so in one room, you know how they would, uh, when you have heart surgery, you know how they would fillet your whole leg all the way down uh, to get that uh, vein, that arteries out of there, correct, right, and then use that for the heart procedure. And many people would suffer through the problem with the leg became more problematic the situation of leg sometimes in the heart because that can be very uh, troublesome for the patient and then in the next room we did a whole photo shoot the whole thing with a um, what, what's it called now a uh uh that uh, there was uh, these terms it's been some years now it was a uh, uh minimally invasive like a, a vanoscopy or something where they just do small incisions and they get it out of there that way and we did these two in two uh, um ORs back to back, the the shoe, and it's amazing. And I thought to myself, you know, if I was having minimally invasive or heart surgery or any kind of heart surgery, I would surely not want them to cut my entire leg all the way up and down to my thigh up uh, to get that out versus those small incisions. Is is that an example of what we're talking about? Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. And you know, when we look at the science or the scientific methods applied to those two techniques there's been a mountain of studies of endoscopic vein harvesting versus the open removal of the greater saphenous vein, yeah. it's actually inconclusive. It's inconclusive. You can't actually show that you know one technique is better than the other, but you know what? People went with the endoscopic harvest because it was so much more intuitive and so much easier for the patient. So th- that is a great example of how medicine is both an art and a science. The art of medicine said, the endoscopic uh, graft retrieval is a better approach. Yeah. But, well, the science, the science, or the scientific method never supported.
0: Well, for me, it was. I'll tell you what: just shooting the photos and all of that up close in front. I said, "Well, if I have to have that done, I know which way I'm going. Uh, it ain't that way. I can tell you that it's this way." Uh, and a lot of those minimally invasive procedures were coming out. Uh, I, you know, I remember back to those days. Uh, which, you know, I, I've actually been, it's funny, you know how when a cardiac surgeon, I, I, you'll chuckle at this, Peter, you'll probably find this very unique uh, for yourself, but like, all right, so a cardiac surgeon is so at home and so comfortable in the OR, that's just their place, it's who they are, it's what they are, they're ready to save lives, back to where we started, the, 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 they surely have their heart and soul in their career, and, and it's all there, and you know, and, and I'm thinking, I've actually been in those ORs, believe it or not, where I was having a meeting with the cardiac surgeon and I've actually seen the chest cut open and I've seen all of that happening with the, with the heart procedures. And at the head of the patient, all scrubbed and ready what have you back there as they were operating, having a meeting with the surgeon. It's the only time they had. And I look, could you see me there, Peter, fully gowned, right? You just visualize this, Malcolm said, fully gowned, mask on, everything else going on. And I'm actually having a conversation with the cardiac surgeon as he's doing this. And they are so disciplined at what they're doing that it is remarkable. And we were doing this uh, study on it and I'm right there having a meeting. I mean, is that crazy or what?
1: You know, if anybody complains about the expense of medical education or the financial rewards on the back end, they need to go to the head of the bed and watch a cardiac surgeon, take a human heart in their hands and understand what is the value of doing that. It's no different than having an expert, a pilot, navigate a storm and pull that whole plane out of apparel. You know, there are certain edge occupations. These people live on the edge. They make edge decisions and you know there are not government guidelines that tell that surgeon that he needs to do this at this time to save that life. People, I have to understand, medicine is an art and a science, and clinical judgment plays a huge role in delivering high quality patient outcomes.
0: That is great. What really well said. that critical thinking. We're talking about critical thinking and the action from that critical thinking that saves lives. Uh, is remarkable. But you, did, you see, you didn't know I had all that uh, vast experience. So now the next time you need a good second opinion for a heart to patient, you just give me a ring, Peter. I'll see if I can help you out there. Uh, but uh, uh, by the way, Dan says, uh, Dan ends that with, uh, and, and I just want to, the one sentence he ends with, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for the education you have provided to the world. You know, people never lose sight about that to, with you, Dr. McCullough. They never lose sight of the fact of, your commitment on you using the word science very carefully, looking at the evidence and making a, a, the calculus and being able to talk to people in a respectful way, that's why you have become such a god in this community. People just really, they appreciate your trust and your value. and as a gentleman, always you're always a gentleman. That's important to be said. And I see that from listeners. I see it more than anybody because of the outpouring that people say here. So anyways, and I know you're you're a humble person, but kudos to you, brother, for everything you do. And listeners know what I mean by that. They surely have followed you uh, through all of this.
1: There are microbes in the air and they're in your house. And the Genesis Fogger is the solution. This is a mobile fogger that uses a unique technology to give a non-toxic dry mist to cleanse the air and cleanse your rooms of microbes, whether they be bacterial, fungal, or viral, including SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. So go to the Genesis Fogger website and use the promo code OUTLOUD for a discount on your purchase of the model and get going with a cleaner house As there could be more microbes on the way, we're concerned about not only the current pandemic, but future ones. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio.
0: Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. the spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America Out Loud. Uh, We invite you friends to invest some of your time with our magnificent family of experts, their minds and voices. It's all back at AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all.
2: Pick up a bottle for you and your family today.
0: Uh, Linda says I'm trying to reach Dr. Peter McCullough for advice on students considering nursing schools. Are there any he might recommend? I heard some doctors going to start their own schools. Please advise which states are recommended
1: if you if you know. Definitely make some calls to nursing schools and find out which ones have vaccine mandates. Many times the undergraduate campuses don't have mandates, but then the hospitals that the nursing students have to rotate in do. And so that's the problem. The overall school doesn't mandate it, but to go on a clinical rotation, they need to have um, a vaccination. I think the the question, the first questions are... Uh, do they have a vaccine mandate requirement? And the second question is, do they have a fair exemption policy and do people get exemptions? You know, there's certain states now, it's in the law where they must honor exemptions like in the state of Kansas. Uh, The state of Texas, for example, uh, all the undergraduate campuses uh, did not have vaccine mandates except for four small colleges. So Texas was wide open without the menace of a vaccine mandate at the campus level.
0: Okay. Um, Jess, uh, starts off and, and, um, says, is uh, Novavax um, uh, COVID-19 vaccine safe for everyone or just a specific group of people? Is it necessary? He, this person is 52 years old. Jess is a Singaporean, not uh, from Singapore, not vaccinated and healthy. To me, vaccines, drugs are necessary only if health compromised. Uh, isn't that an interesting way to put this whole conversation? I love, you know, it's funny how these, listen to these questions and the comments segue so well in this conversation, but it's that's the way it used to be. That's the way it used to be. We would say vaccines, drugs, that's only if health is copyrights. Always believe our innate immunity is robust, complete and durable if we are in good health. Uh, and this person is very health conscious and all the things he's doing, follows the protocol, has any questions, you know, uh, exercises regularly. Uh, and so just wondering about this Novavax uh, vaccine, is this safe for everyone and, or just a specific group of people
1: and why is it necessary? Well, first I wanna take the broader question. Um, for those who have immune system deficiencies, um, let's say on uh, corticosteroids, prednisone, more than 20 milligrams a day, have uh, a T-cell or B-cell lymphoma, multiple myeloma, uh, immunoglobulin deficiencies. For those individuals, even though vaccines are recommended in general, let's say flu vaccine, pneumococcal vaccine, et cetera, they're incredibly ineffective because the immune system can't give any juice, even if you take a injection. And that's what's happened with COVID-19. This has been reviewed over and over again. If there's an immune deficiency, there's almost zero benefit of taking a COVID-19 vaccine because you can't stimulate anything. Just like with the flu shot, it's almost completely worthless in doing that. Now, the scenario that I think is more um, relevant is a, what's called a consequential scenario. That is, if one does get SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 infection, are the consequences in that person sufficiently grave that we would want to do everything we can to protect them? So, for example, if we had a patient who uh, had chronic lung disease, let's say an adult with cystic fibrosis, where the lungs are basically uh, very, very compromised, they're on oxygen at night, uh, they're on multiple medications for cystic fibrosis. You can imagine a pulmonary infection with SARS-CoV-2 could just be, that could be it. There's no reserve to manage that, that hypotemia or that low oxygen level. There's no, there's no reserve. The same thing with emphysema, heart failure, patients with prior lung resections. Those are the individuals where you'd say, wait a minute, the risks are sufficiently high enough. Maybe we should consider one of these vaccines, Enter Novavax. Novavax is an antigen-based vaccine. Everything that I know about it right now shows that it it does cause a significantly sore arm, and it did provide protection against the legacy variants of SARS-CoV-2. What we don't know is does does Novavax provide any protection against the Mm. modern variants? And one of the things I've been tracking the safety reports with Novavax, We so far we have not seen these severe uh, systemic reactions that we've seen with the genetic vaccines. And uh, we're still waiting for more data, but so far, you know, out of a, a, a class choice, uh, Novavax may ultimately be a safer choice than the genetic vaccines.
0: Well, part of the problem that I believe is a lot of these vaccine manufacturers weren't up front. They didn't admit, they didn't even tell you what was in the product. And yet it was being pushed out there into bodies. I mean, there's something very egregious about all that, Dr.
1: McCullough, don't you think? I mean, come on. Well, it's true, particularly with the genetic vaccines, which were brand new technology. Now, with Novavax, it's simply giving an antigen. It's giving the spike protein in five microgram dose. It'd be like giving a tetanus toxoid, right? You're giving a certain amount of uh, tetanus um, toxin. It's an antigen-based vaccine. It's a little bit more understandable than a genetic installation for the code for the spike protein.
0: That's interesting. So that's a great way for people to understand, uh, as a, as an alternative choice, when you have to back to those life choices, that may be one of the, one of the conditions to really look at. And, and, and let me just, and I just, I wonder here now, when you mentioned the spike protein and in regards to Novavax, I've always, uh, under the impression that the spike protein is not good for our body, but in Novavax, is that different somehow?
1: Well, the Novavax is giving a limited amount of it. You're right. Okay. None of it is any good for the body, but the theory is giving a limited amount could form some immunity. It's just like tetanus. Okay. You know, Tetanus is not good for the body, but giving a little bit of it in a tetanus shot can provide immunity. That's the leap of faith with the Novavax. Also, there's a Corbavax vaccine out of Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. I would have more um, hope for these, at least in terms of being safe and not causing this, this either long lasting or even permanent genetic installation into the human body.
0: Yeah, wow. Uh, so that's that's interesting. And I, I like the way we, we just position this right now uh, within your, your health and um, uh, the, the importance of it that I'm seeing. In other words, uh, th- sometimes we have to make these decisions and choices and a lot of you out there are asking, what is the lesser of evils? But the thing is, If it's one thing I've learned through all of this, if we really take care of our health and our immune system, again, enter healthy cell, uh, then we're in better shape. You know, years ago, before COVID, pre-COVID, I, you know, yeah, I exercise, walk, do all that. I've always been been a pretty uh, trimmed guy, uh, conscious of it, probably because I've seen family members, you know, growing up as a boy. You know how you see family members, uh, Peter, where you see they're they're not in condition, uh, they're overweight. A lot of people have those challenges. And I thought, yeah, I don't want that to happen in my life. So I've always been conditioned for that in my mind but I really didn't take a lot of the vitamins and stuff. And uh, then, you know, what happened for me? Oh, about just over four years ago, I had the CEO of Healthy Cell On and we were talking about aging, aging and how we age. And that's when I got really engaged with this. This was really obviously pre-COVID, but you can see where my mind was. And it was all about aging. And I really, the light bulb went on for me, uh, went, went totally on, because then it was like the condition of our cells. If healthy cells provide us that sort of longevity and, and not only longevity, but the quality in our life, why we're here. Well, that's, that's going to be the closest thing to, I guess, what you'd call the of youth that we, many people have been looking for and never did find, right? This might be the way. So that's when I started engaging in a healthy shell and actually started taking it uh, as, well, you, as a person, you
1: know? Yeah. You know, you could look at it this way. Yeah. If you take all of the uh, essential amino acids, the essential fatty acids and the micronutrients and vitamins, and you completely subtract them, each one, one by one, you actually get disease. So, for instance, if you subtract, wow. uh, uh, let, let's say you subtract uh, vitamin C, you end up getting scurvy you subtract B vitamins, you get a pellagra Mm. and you just keep going and going. So the idea is they all are essential. And the question is in our diet, are we getting enough and are we absorbing them and enter healthy cell? You know, here it's just one of these good insurance policies, even though the diet may be good. uh, Why not get that insurance factor that the body is fully supplemented and optimally supplemented with everything it needs. I wanna bring one uh, uh, citation into this discussion. This paper just hit the uh, peer reviewed published literature. It's by Powell Jaguleski. And the title of the paper is Associations of Nutritional Behavior and Gut Microbiota with the Risk of COVID-19 in Healthy Young Adults in Poland. And it's a very careful nutritional study that concluded that a healthy diet and physical activity resulted in an 86% lower risk of COVID-19 compared to those whose diet was not balanced. So it just supports exactly what you said, Malcolm.
0: Yeah. I I just can't, you can't speak enough about it. The immune system and the, uh, if we've learned one big lesson from this whole thing, it's got to be friends. It has to be, it has to be that if we really have taken care of ourselves, we're in a better position to put up with whatever the fight is coming forward, whatever they're talking about. And I know there's all kinds of things. People are talking about monkeypox now, they're talking about the viruses, I mean, well beyond SARS-CoV-2 and other pathogens that are out there. And I I just, you can't say this enough. So this is the lesson, I guess in some cases it might be the rude awakening, but it is the lesson of of COVID-19, of SARS-CoV-2. Because those that were took proper care of themselves and really had a better shot to put up for this fight, this you know battle, this fight that was going to happen, and those that weren't, they many lost their life sadly. If that's the lesson of humanity, I think is what I'm suggesting to you and. So I, I, I've learned a lot through all of this and I've, I've been on the front lines of these fights and I started talking to listeners early on about trying to help them through this COVID because I felt it was going to be a, a gut punch to humanity. And boy, was I ever right. I, I didn't expect it would be so bad like it had become, friends, but I knew we were up for a challenge when they started to lock down the dog park in the communities uh, and all of this nonsense. It got pretty radical out there. So the way to do it is take care of your 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 body in the way that you can your immune system do the things we can do you know a lot of times i'm out and the burger looks really good but you know the salmon is probably better for me uh and, and i love salmon anyways i love all kinds of fish but fish is actually rich in a lot of these uh, uh, these uh, uh, natural vitamins that you need to be taken in your body so combined with healthy cell is the point. I take Immune Super Boost daily, and Immune Super Boost is, is outstanding because it has vitamin C, vitamin D3, zinc, echinacea extract, elderberry extract. And it also is in the microgel. So the micro gel, now a lot of people, uh, when you take it, do you take it right out of the package or do you put it in water, by the way, yourself?
1: I take it right out of the package. Uh, I, I almost, you know, I'm a runner and I'm used to running 5K races, 10K races, marathons. And so we always take a goo packs and other (laughs) things. So I'm used to just kind of popping it and going. And as many of the listeners know, I have two very elderly people in our household and they just take it straight up. They actually, they like the taste and they, you know, they feel like they're doing something good for their body, which they are. And so it's a very positive product. I mean, healthy cell is the type of product you want to have in the household.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I put mine in a little bit of water because I take other things with it, and so it does. It saves me if I take another thing. But but I think a lot of people do what uh, Dr. McCullough said that they take it right out of the package and that's the convenience of this product actually in the micro gel because it's easy to travel with so and it tastes good so it's not like oh you know when we were kids you say i don't want to take that awful uh, vitamin because it's good for me because it doesn't taste good here's the way you can do it i take focus and recall as well long covid is a real problem for anybody who's had it and back to the nutrients of your brain and the functionality of that focus and recall is very very important and it's got more of a tangerine orange taste so i take that every day absolutely every day i need all the brain power i can get here friends You can imagine, and so I take that every day for sure. Uh, And the other one I take uh, quite a bit now, and I really love it. I know Dr. McCullough talks about a lot of REM sleep, and man, this thing is highly effective. And I'd never taken sleeping pills in my life, but this isn't a sleeping pill. This is very natural, which you've talked a lot about, Dr. McCullough. You talked far more about this REM sleep than I have. You love this product,
1: right? But there's a way to take it. I really want to get this point in. It's not like a sleeping pill where you take it on demand. This is something you want to take every night before you go to bed. Take it, then brush your teeth, go to bed, and do it consistently. I tell patients, listen, you, you, know, you got to do it about 90 days and get the body into wow. a good sleep cycle. Remember, REM sleep supplement, the supplement doesn't put you to sleep, but you get a better quality sleep. When you get a better quality sleep, there's less st- stress hormones during the day, the following day, then the next night you get a better sleep and it's a it's a very positive cycle but take it every day without missing any days and i can tell you after 30 60 90 days wow
0: yeah well it is wow and you know it's funny how you position that as the doctor you just you you're able to put it out there so well so you you say it uh remarkably well but i'm talking about the the way your your body it's not a sleeping pill They're not something you do radically to get to sleep there it, it, take, it takes, it it rests your body. It allows you to get the maximum sleep. So like in the mornings when I, I'm rested and when I get up, I'm rested. I, I And I don't hit the ground running in a panic. I, there's something about it. I can't explain it, but it's a little smoother transition waking up from my sleep to, to the reality of what the world is going to throw at me. Uh, I guess that's a good way to say it actually. Anyways, Uh, These are all fantastic products. It's why they're such a partner here. That's why I've been on with them four and a half years. I mean, they've been here. It's not accidental, friends. And I I love things that improve our lives. You know what I mean? I want things that help us out. That's really the important thing here. For me, it is personally. Uh, So our listeners get 20% off that first order. Just use the code OUTLOUD. Uh, The banner ads back at americaoutloud.com as well. You can click that and get the 20% off or use the code OUTLOUD either way. And you're entitled to that as well. Uh, stay healthy get in your cells. The agent of our cells. The healthier our cells, the better we age. Uh, listen, I want to look young. I want to stay looking young. I have never had any work, but uh, we'll have to do a show on that one time. People say, to me, "Well, when do you get Botox? Do you have any work?" Well, I don't know. I just take healthy shell, man. That's all I'm doing. They say, "Well, you look pretty good." Yeah. Well, I, I'm not too old yet, so I'm I'm, I'm holding on. I'm holding on. <laughs> We're going to push right forward here with other questions now. And the uh, Dr. McCullough, that was that was really uh, interesting uh, coming but through. Ma- some Malcolm, of
1: Malcolm, yeah. I want to make one additional point. Yeah. You know, we've talked about diet. And uh, I quoted that paper from Poland and then the use of intelligent use of high quality supplements, but there is a huge role for exercise and fitness, both Mm. aerobic and strength fitness. And if anything we've learned through the pandemic, it's survival of the fittest. You want to be out there exercising and stressing your heart and lungs because heaven forbid, I just had a dear friend uh, today just contacted me as Dr. McCullough. I got a fever of 103. I got it. Well, listen, you know, you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, fever of 103 is a stress test, and the body has to be physically fit. Yesterday, you know, you got a sunny day in Texas. It's it's hot, but I go out there. I ran. I ran miles and miles and miles. I came back. Uh, I had my 98 year old father in law, he was on the front porch. I put him through wheelchair aerobics. I said, let's see. And I put him through. And while I was doing some uh, uh, strength and core exercise, I was making sure he was exercising. And even if you're in a wheelchair, Malcolm, the body can be exercised.
0: I love it. I love it. As listeners know, I walk every day. I walk with my wife who went through a couple of bouts of COVID now. And as you know the story, friends, almost lost her. That's another thing. You really have an appreciation for life. I was looking, you know, just last night, we were moving some things around as we were moving our studios and, and uh, home as well. And, and long story short, uh, I seen how, the way she was engaged. She's so engaged with things. You know, Peter, I was just looking at her from, a, uh, from across Rome and I was thinking, you know, she's a remarkable woman. Everything she came through and appreciating those little moments of time. And I just I don't know, there was something about it, the way she took control of the situation and to thinking I almost lost her through all of this. And to see her reaction to it, it just gives you such an appreciation for life and our fellow human beings and how blessed we
1: are, really. You know, I, I have to say that's that the reason to go into medicine and nursing and all of these fields. That's the reason to just people have asked me, Dr. McCullough, is it worth it to have you go through everything you've gone through, have your career dismantled over the last two years? I said it was all worth it. If I've helped just one person and D is that person.
0: Amen. That's exactly it. And uh, what Dr. McCullough is referring to there is uh, uh, many of the calls I had to make to him to uh, because uh, we were really on the edge of things, uh, just barely escaped a ventilator and uh, medical and a a coma, medical coma. So uh, it scared me uh, beyond scared. I I just didn't want to continue. I I don't know. It's hard to explain, but he is somebody I've known since we were very young children in school, but still. You, you just don't want to lose those people along the journey of life, you know, friends, I mean, really we want to do all we can. Uh, this, uh, you know, I, maybe I miss my profession. I love people. I love to be able to make a difference in somebody's life. I think people know that. Who said well, you have a heart? Well, yeah, I have a heart for sure. I love people. Uh, let's move on to Chris says, um, my question concerns the effectiveness of natural immunity to the Omicron variants. About 4.5 months after recovering from Delta, I contracted the current variant of Omicron. I'm in my seventies and recovered from Delta using recommended supplements since I refused to get vaccinated. Symptoms and duration were different. Delta caused loss of taste, smell, low-grade temperature, severe headache, as well as days of extreme fatigue weakness. Omicron caused a fever of over 101, nasal congestion, headache, short period of weakness, uh, laryngitis, uh, a dry cough, and he's right because this is what happened. I've recognized all these symptoms because that's exactly what happened to my wife with both bouts of that. By the way, she had Delta and the Omicron. I tested positive both times for COVID, both Omicron. Uh, does Omicron evade natural immunity? Do I now have natural immunity?
1: Okay. Very importantly, uh, that's actually a very good description of Delta and Omicron. So. Prior immunity with wild type alpha, beta, gamma, and delta, about a 60% protection against Omicron, as shown in a paper from Qatar in New England Journal of Medicine. Obviously, 60% isn't that good. So he was able to get, get Omicron. So he got a second infection. And now paper out of South Africa has shown that if you get Omicron, you have, you have a broad immunity of the subvariants and under the Omicron umbrella. And then back immunity even if he had not had Delta. I want to bring into the discussion a a conversation I actually had last night with Dr. Brian Tyson and he is an author with Dr. George Farid on the book Overcoming the COVID Darkness, How Two Doctors Successfully Treated 7,000 Patients. Uh, This is a great read. Chapter eight is a monograph of their clinic results in South Central California. What Dr. Tyson told me last night is you know they systematically do chest X-rays and they always have on all their COVID patients since they have this kind of outdoors clinic in South Central California, it's easy to do and safe. And what he's noticed is with Omicron, no pulmonary involvement, no pulmonary involvement. This is really important. So with Omicron, that's the reason why we're able to get through it without having people go on the ventilator and get so terribly ill because the virus does not invade deeply into the lungs, the Omicron variant.
0: Yeah, that's so important. And, and I, I was a bit paranoid when it hit my wife second time because of, I was traumatized, clearly, from the first episode. And I, right away, uh, Dr. McCullough and I were speaking about what to do. And we started the ivermectin, started uh, some of the other uh, things in the protocol. Healthy Cell, got a lot of that in there. Just really try to get that immune system up. Uh, we did cofix Rx as well with a nasal to try to get the pathogens out of there. Uh, we succeeded. She turned the corner just a couple of days, by the way. Uh, it was terrific. And I thought, oh, thank God. I don't want to repeat this thing again. I, I, I just didn't have that, you know, uh, I, I just didn't want to go through that again. I, I didn't know uh, the experience of it, of course, you know, to, the truth of the matter is.
1: You, you know, Malcolm, I'm really glad you brought up Cofix Rx and the nasal uh, virucidal and preventive treatments. Uh, I think I mentioned last time, my wife just got uh, a cold recently. And it was pretty significant. And we mentioned two elderly people in my household. And I could tell you, my father in law, with his prior heart surgery, heart failure, prostate cancer, um, all the problems that he has, he, w- he would actually, he potentially would pass away, uh, even with a cold, a flu, or certainly COVID. And uh, my wife, we did everything possible when you're caring for elderly in your house. Uh, but my wife used Cofix RX and she used it faithfully all the way through. And I'm convinced what it does is shorten the intensity and duration of her symptoms for her common cold, but it reduced the risk of spread. This is very important, reducing the risk of spread. I'm going to travel today. I'm going to Washington, D.C. for actually a book signing for Dr. Naomi Wolf in Washington. Wonderful event. We're doing some filming with Epoch Times on our our new book with John Lee, Courage to Face COVID-19. And you know what's in my bag? cofix rx why because if i start to feel viral or if i'm next to somebody on the plane they're coughing and sneezing i'm going to jump into action so i don't get burned with a two-week upper respiratory illness when i have this in my bag
0: yeah Uh, it's an amazing product i mean it's got the povidine iodine in there is what we're dealing with here, and it's an amazing product i mean it's a nasal rinse friends it's a nasal rinse And it just clears the nasal right out with the povidone iodine. It's got a series of ingredients in it that are remarkable. Not only did my wife take it, as you just said, faithfully, is the word you use, Peter, every eight hours. Every eight hours, you use that product. Uh, And as she was going through it, she absolutely used that. But her mom, who was having some health challenges, she's in her 80s and she was having some difficulties. uh, We didn't want her to get COVID because that could be fatal for her uh, to any degree. And uh, she uh, never, the co was a miracle because they were in the same room all that time. And my wife got it, but, uh, but my mother-in-law did not. And my wife's mom was saved from it. I credit that to Kofix RX, by the way. I do, because that's there was nothing else going on with her. And I gave her healthy cell and co-fix. Those, I swear, those are the two things I gave uh, my wife to give to her mom. And she used well. I'm telling you, that's the God's honest truth. It really happened.
1: Well, remember the randomized trial by Chowdhury and colleagues that when the povidone iodine is used the pcr positivity dropped by 80 to 90% within a couple of days and without using it somebody's pcr positive for you know 7 10 14 days so what you did is you markedly reduced the contagion the ability of one person to spread it to another and so I'm a big fan of that with cofix rx you know the percent povidone iodine is actually a little bit higher than what we use with the, uh, the povidone iodine kind of mix at home approach, but it has unique additional uh, components to it. Cartagena is one of them, which basically causes the iodine to have a longer residence time in the nose, and so it's killing the virus for a longer period of time.
0: Yeah, It sticks to your nose. That's exactly it. It's, it's, it sticks to your nose. The kerogen gets in there and it stays right there. So that makes a lot of sense what you say there. Uh, our listeners get 20% off that product. Again, that's the way it is. CoFix. Uh, uh, Rx, cofixrx.com forward slash out loud. A lot of you email and after the fact, you say, Well, how do I get it? Where do I find it? Just go to get the banner ad, go to americoutloud.com, click the banner ad for cofix, and you'll get the discount right there. Uh, now let's uh, if, if, what we're going to do is plow right through now because of, of questions of time. It, this has been a great conversation, but I want to get as many in as we can. Uh, Cindy says. I chose from the onset to not get the experimental vaccines. Now I'm wondering if I am ever in a situation where I need blood, whether I should be concerned about receiving blood from someone who has been vaccinated. I believe blood is not currently being screened to make that distinction. All of the current articles on on the Internet only address that you cannot get COVID from donated blood. Is there a risk with donated blood from individuals who have been vaccinated? Uh, What do you think?
1: There were initial concerns, we've been following this closely, but the seroprevalence is so high, meaning the antibodies in the various blood products are so high against the spike protein that I think it's fundamentally neutralized. We have not heard about bona fide transfusion reactions from various uh, lots of blood. I just donated blood the other day. Uh, and by the way, donating blood Once a quarter is a good thing in general for most people, and it's also a way to check your antibody status. So I can't wait to find out how my antibodies are doing against COVID-19. There
0: you go. All right, terrific. Uh, uh, Molly says, thank you, Dr. McCullough, for being America's rock during this challenging time. My in-laws are sick with COVID. They are fully vaccinated, and almost everyone they spend time with is as well. They are having multiple symptoms, including GI issues, nausea, loss of appetite, diarrhea. Is there any medication you suggest specifically for the GI issue?
1: You certainly can use Imodium or Imodium AD for control of diarrhea. What I've uh, found very useful is a very inexpensive prescription called Cocevamilam. Cocevamilam is also known as WellCal, it's a cholesterol lowering agent, it's considered a bile acid binding sequestrant. Uh, but just one uh, large tablet twice a day, co the doctor can prescribe it. An additive benefit does lower cholesterol over time, but it seems to regulate things. We know that if there's GI involvement in a paper by Lowe and colleagues, where I am a co-author, GI involvement portends actually more serious illness. There's a greater viral load in that person. And by the way, the virus does come out in the stool and it's measurable in wastewater. There are published uh, studies on that.
0: Okay, all right. Cook says, and you know, I came down with COVID last Friday. See, people are still getting COVID. It's, it's, it's unbelievable still. I'm, I'm still blown away. I am following the protocol, uh, the zinc, the vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, uh, ivermectin. All of these are per day, the, the various doses. I have also tried a nebulizer with one drop of the iodine in, in the saline. I have had a dry cough and a fever of up to 101.8. Uh, this morning, I woke up in a bath of sweat, uh, my fever was nearly gone at 99. I felt good and had an appetite finally. However, as the day progressed, my fever returned and is currently at 101.5. Uh, 101.5. I feel very sick, and I'm, but I'm breathing well, but I feel quite cold. Is there anything else I should be doing?
1: Well, if this listener is following the full McCullough protocol and taking hydroxychloroquine or ivermexin or, or Paxlovid plus doxycycline, azithromycin, aspirin, colchicine, prednisone, have all these medicines going, but there's still a fever. Mm-hmm. This has been studied. The fever is best treated with a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent over Tylenol. So most people want to grab Tylenol. The, the non-steroidal agent I like to use, as shown in a paper by Fazio and colleagues, published in Medical Monitor, I'm a co-author, the one I like to use is naproxen, sodium, or Aleve naproxen, sodium, blue gel caps, 220 milligrams, take two capsules every 12 hours for the fever. It does way better than Tylenol. You can get the generic. It's inexpensive at the pharmacy and use that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I used it with my wife all the way through, uh, based on, uh, Dr. McCullough's recommendation. It was remarkable. She did really well with that. Um, so it, it absolutely works. And, uh, and, and the, um, the was, You know, the thing I wanted to tell uh, Cook is that COVID is not a two-day thing. It's not a two-day thing. I'm like you, Cook. I was very impatient. I, I, I hear you when I had it. It's not a two-day thing. It took me weeks and weeks and weeks to regain my my full. Co- now I, I I struggled through that, but I still was functional. But it wasn't perfect. But it's not a two-day event. You're, you're going to go through the the cycles of it is what's going to happen. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a bioweapon that's really not. It's not was never designed to. It's not good for her body, obviously, and it, and it does great harm. So it takes time to get through it. You have to, you, patience is key, and you're doing the right thing. though. So. Ray says, Dr. McCullough, my wife, will have open-heart surgery to repair a leaky valve this summer. We're both unvaxxed. Both had COVID in January 21, and we're concerned about what happens if she needs any blood transfusions during after surgery. We want to avoid the introduction of the vax, the lipid nano particles." Uh, the messenger RNA into our body, as we've avoided it till now, is our concern valid? We are rushing to find potential unvax donors, figure out, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, don't try the unvax donors. It's going to be too hard with the blood banking. Couple of things to ask: ask for the cardiovascular surgical program at the hospital. What's the transfusion rate? A high transfusion rate would be over fifty percent. That means the surgeons simply aren't tying the knots very well, and there's a lot of blood loss. If there are transfusion rates, and they, it's known for their program, you know, 10, 20, 30%, that's a good number for a transfusion rate. The other thing to ask is ask if they use what's called the cell saver. The cell saver is a technology in the operating room where they conserve the blood that's lost through a recycler, and it works really well. Those would be the two intelligent questions. If you ask that to in one of the pre-surgical visits, they say, wow, that patient must have been listening to the McCullough report.
0: There you go. There you go. And the finale question here is from Mary. She says, my husband and I are not vaccinated and contracted COVID uh, in August 21. We took ivermectin and all the other uh, protocol meds, and his case was mild with sinus headache, fever, dry cough, fatigue. Uh, He presented last night, nine months later, with the same symptoms and tested positive via the Bunex uh, home test. Uh, we thought we had robust immunity, but this doesn't seem to be the case. His D level is really good. Takes vitamins. is not of a way. So the question, can a healthy person contract COVID multiple times? Now, we know after Omicron, it can. But I'm wondering now in a situation where, like Mary says, and like even with my wife or others where they've had it twice, could they get it a third and fourth time,
1: Dr. McCullough? You know, those have not been well documented. Uh, this patient almost certainly had alpha and now has, has an Omicron, then it's perfectly fine to, to do that and get through it. I had a patient contact me today with this scenario, and he said, he said should I get yet another test? And I said, you know, I, I think it's fine if you don't. We'll check antibodies afterwards. Let, you know, let's go through uh, a treatment protocol. We, we are largely down to over-the-counter treatments. We talked about the nasal, virucidal washes and treatment, COFIX, RX, and that grouping as well as uh, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin and famotidine mm-hmm. over the counter. Uh, again, with my conversation with Dr. Brian Tyson, author of Overcoming the COVID Darkness, he said that in his program, they are largely just using over-the-counter nutraceuticals, supplements, and, and nasal washes. They haven't had to use much prescription medicines. With each successive infection is almost more like the common cold. Anyway, we're not going to, you know, when you get a common cold, you don't go out for testing. You just kind of take care of yourself.
0: All right, uh, perfect, perfect. Uh, my friends, from America, we're Loud Pulse, all the shows go to podcast. All five days are incredible. We have a great group of people here. Uh, 5 p.m. live, uh, the encore is at 10 p.m. Uh, they all go to podcast about a day later. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a show we're very, very proud of. Uh, engage, share the show, share the information, the wealth of knowledge here, please. Uh, is most important we help our fellow man out and that is the way to do it right there and this was such an enjoyable conversation today mostly because it's like talking uh dr McCullough just a dear friend and uh, it's just so conversational you know dr McCullough, this is the best kind of radio what we just did here right now because it's conversational and it's like being on with a, with a dear friend thank you brother thank you america loud pulse friends it's always a beat ahead